Good morning. Good morning. And <laughs> it is so nice to see everybody in here. And I'm on right here. It doesn't sound like I'm on in here. But I'm on on my waist, so we'll let those folks up there figure it out. Until then, I will just speak a little bit louder than usual. But it is so great to welcome everybody here into the sanctuary this morning. What an absolute delight. Um, it is a far, that sound of applause is different from the sound of sloshing feet walking through here with two inches of water in here. But what an absolute delight to welcome everybody back to worship today here in our sanctuary and to know that it's been a long five months since we had that burst pipe and that flood, but here we are back in this beautiful sanctuary, this place that is such a sanctuary and a place of worship for all of us. We are so grateful for our presence in here and just grateful for all of you who are here and welcome to this time of worship. Welcome if you're joining us on our live stream. We're delighted for all of you who can join us via the live stream from your own home. We want to welcome all of you into this worship service as well. We do want you to know, of course, that you can download the bulletin. If you go to our church website, you'll see the bulletin there. Download that. Participate with all of us in here while you're at home and welcome one and all to this time of worship. We do also want to invite everyone to sign the online friendship pad. If you're worshiping with us at home, you can see that on the church website. There are also friendship pads in your pew, and it is a delight for me to invite you to take your friendship pad there in your pew and to sign that and to pass that down and to mark your presence with us here in the sanctuary, to mark your presence with us if you're at home, and to invite you to uh, fill in the information if you are a visitor and you'd like to know more about GPC and who we are as a family of faith, then I invite you to fill this in, mark yourself as a visitor, and we'd be so happy to be in touch with you and tell you more about who we are as a church in the coming week. Friends, today is Communion Sunday, and so we will be having communion again uh, this particular Sunday by the same method we've been using for a long time, which is the the little bags with a, uh, a cracker in it plus a grape. And if you didn't get those, then you can find those uh, back in the narthex. And at the appropriate time, we'll have communion together in just a few minutes. If you are worshiping with us at home, then we invite you to take uh, some kind of juice or wine and a cracker and uh, also be ready for communion at home as we get prepared to do that uh, again a little later in our worship service. But we invite everybody in here or at home to participate in our communion service this morning. We are going to pass the plates for the first time in 16 months. So no more sliding by the plate on the way out. (laughs) Nobody can see you do that. Your neighbor will... No. But we're going to pass the plates uh, and do that as normal. Of course, we just appreciate everybody's generosity and, uh, and know that uh, we, everybody here is so grateful to be back. And uh, thank you for... We're going to add elements of worship back into our normal routine slowly but surely. And we'll continue with this format. We'll be at 9.30 in here for about the next six weeks through, uh, through July and into August. And then August the 15th 
is the start of our program year, and we'll be back to everything normal, 8.30 and 11, Sunday school in between, 6 o'clock worship, different children's and youth activities in the afternoon. So get ready for, the, to, for our program year to start August the 15th. Until then, we will continue to ease in to our normal routine. Um, we've already signaled, signaled our gratitude for being back here in our sanctuary, but it, it just can't go without notice that there was an army of volunteers who helped make this happen. In, in addition to our great contractor and all the workers who worked hard, uh, especially in the last three or four days to get everything ready, there was an army of volunteers, and I'll try to name some of them, but I'll forget half of them. But I know that Stuart Holmes and David Bradford were moving furniture in here yesterday and the day before and getting everything back in line and moving all the, all the chairs around. And Patty Bradford and Mickey Neighbors and um, Bonnie Algie and Kathy McCoy. Uh, I mean, just a whole host of people were all w- working so hard um, to get everything ready and uh, we are so grateful for them. And I, I've, I've not named all of them, and, and shame on me, because uh, to name them just all would be too many. But so grateful for everybody's efforts and everybody who got us up to this point to be back in here. And you'll notice fresh paint colors and a new carpet. And there's still some things to be done, like the new covers for the organ pipes. There's a sample that's out. You'll notice that. The ceiling in the narthex isn't quite ready yet. But again, as we emerge from the pandemic and emerge from the flood, we're going to emerge back into having everything else ready as soon as possible. But thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who worked so hard to get us back in here and ready for this great celebration. Amen. Friends, last but not least, another celebration on the behalf of a family in our congregation. You'll see a rose on the baptismal font this morning, and that's in honor of the birth of Emma Jean Harris, who is the daughter of Spencer and Molly Harris. Emma Jean's grandparents, uh, Randy and Mary Ann Harris, are uh, usually around here somewhere. There they are right over there. So a great celebration for them and their family, and uh, big sister Ava, everybody. So we're so grateful for little Imogene's birth into this world. We'll pray for her this week and pray prayers of great gratitude and celebration for you and your whole family and for everybody. So please lift up them in this, uh, this time of, uh, of celebration in their life. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. Let us stand and worship God. God is holy and just. God provides in ways that are strong and sure. He is worthy of our, of our praise. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Thank you, you've already done that. <laughs> Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in this city of our God, his holy mountains. Beautiful in his loftiness, the joy of the whole earth is the city of God. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, 
your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Let us worship God. Jesus came into the world to bring grace to sinners. Out of gratitude for God's mercy, let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Holy God, have mercy on us, we pray. We have not always loved you with a pure heart, and we do not treat others always with pure motives. 
we are always seeking to gain, forgetting that you are the God of grace. We are so often looking out for ourselves first, and we forget our obligations to you and those around us. Have mercy on us and change us more and more after the image and ways of Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God. His resurrection brings us new life in God's presence. I declare to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. be with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with the sign of God's peace. Well, good morning, boys and girls. How's everybody today? <laughs> oh, yay! <laughs> yay, boys and girls. How's everybody today? Good. This is, I woke up this morning and this was a day to celebrate, and I was so, so happy about all the things that we have to celebrate today. What do you like to celebrate? You can see I have a balloon here, and we've heard some beautiful music, and there's been beautiful flowers today, and I bet you're going to have some good food today. What holidays do you like to celebrate? What's your favorite celebration? I bet I know. When I ask children, I usually get the most one important answer. What is your favorite celebration? Oh, Christmas is a good one. Yes. What's another one? Halloween is a fun celebration. Yeah, what else? Easter is a wonderful celebration. What, what one celebration is most important to you? Your birthday, your very special day, and it's so fun to celebrate. So today we have two very important things to celebrate. And the first is, of course, Independence Day. How many are you, of you are going to look at fireworks tonight? 
watch fireworks, get together with family, eat hot dog. We're so excited today to celebrate Independence Day that the United States of America is 245 years old. So that's a wonderful celebration to have today. And the other one is that we get to be back in our sanctuary today. We're so excited about that. We've been waiting for this day for a long time. So we are very, very happy to celebrate. And God tells us in the Bible, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Psalm 126.3. So I hope today that you will um, have a lot to celebrate and that you will, can remember that God wants you to celebrate on happy occasions today. So remember that as you go about having a super fun day. And I have a balloon for you all to take home so that you can help celebrate today. Yeah, tell me. I go and get a toy for my mom and give it to her? Yes, you can, yes. <laughs> That'll be a great way to celebrate. <laughs> Will you all bow your head with me and let's say a prayer together. Can you bow your head? All right, dear loving Father, we praise you for the gifts you have given us our country, the United States of America, and our sanctuary at GPC. God be with us. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. When y'all head back to your seat right here, grab a balloon so you can celebrate today, okay? Out of the mouths of babes. In all of my enthusiasm for welcoming everybody back into our sanctuary, I should have also welcomed Kyle and Melissa Millsap back to Germantown and back to play with us today, back with family for vacation from Texas. And so welcome back and thank you for being here. And thank you to Betsy Mosley for playing our organ as well today. Lots of folks on vacation for, uh, for the long holiday weekend, and so Betsy, thank you for being with us today and for playing. And welcome back from vacation for uh, Shannon and Aaron as well. Thank you for being here. Welcome indeed to these special folks. Let me just also remind you, one thing I, again, forgot to say is that we won't be having our evening worship today at 6 with lots of folks traveling in a way we're uh, not having that tonight, but we'll be back next Sunday night at 6 o'clock for our evening worship. Friends, please join me in prayer. Lord, we do praise you and thank you for the gift of your word. Your word is an anchor for us. It steadies us. It helps us, Lord, to uh, judge and to know and to be wise. And so we pray as we read from your word this morning that your Holy Spirit would guide us in all that we say and all that we think and in how we respond to your holy word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our first lesson comes to us, and it is in the Old Testament, and it comes to us from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We read this. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, 
Look, we are bone and flesh. From some time, Saul was king over us, and it was you who led us out and brought us in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd over my people Israel. You shall be ruler over all Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron, made this covenant before the Lord, and they anointed David as king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. And they were thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, which is now the city of David. David had said on that day, whoever would strike down the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, those whom David hates. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And then we, we have a New Testament lesson that comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. We read Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus left that place and came into his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And then they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their own hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And then he went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and cured them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. For the last several weeks in our worship services, we have been looking at the different ways that God is at work. How is God at work in our lives? When is God at work in our lives? What are all the different circumstances in which God is at work in our lives? 
Can God be at work in our lives even through the tough times and the bad times? Can God use the defeats of our lives as much as the victories in order to shape us and to mold us? Yes, yes, yes to all of these questions. God is at work in our lives to make us better and better disciples. So today I want to look at this passage from Mark 6, and I want to look at this moment in Jesus' ministry where Jesus is going to use this opportunity to send his disciples out two by two, send them out on a short-term mission trip around them. He is going to open up the eyes of many people. He's going to open up the hearts of many people by sending his disciples out away from his own presence and let them do the work of God out into the world. They're going to be at work turning lives around, confronting evil, bringing healing into people's lives. God is at work. And I promise that God wants to use every single one of us, every single person in here. If you are willing, God will use you for all of these purposes, to turn lives around and to confront evil and to bring healing love into people's lives. It's really an amazing passage from Mark. It starts with Jesus entering his hometown in Nazareth. And as you were reading along, you saw that all of his disciples were around him. They did travel in this pack, Jesus and his 12 apostles, and then also others would follow and travel with them. They go into his own hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up. He goes to teach in the synagogue, and everybody is both amazed and confused by what they are hearing and by what they are seeing. They're absolutely amazed at Jesus because we read here, as we read in other places, Jesus taught them as with authority. Now, what does that mean? It means that he knew his Old Testament backwards and forwards. He knew all of what we think of as the Old Testament for him, the Scriptures. He knew all of the Torah. He knew all of those great stories. He knew all of the law backwards and forwards. He knew about all of these stories, about stories like King David and Samuel, like Esther, like Moses. He knew how to teach and speak in ways that revealed God that the people had never heard before. He was just this amazing teacher who revealed God in ways that they had never heard before. When Jesus spoke, and there there are people like that. They help us make sense of God when they speak. Whenever I go running, I try to listen to a sermon by Tim Keller or by John Ortberg. They're great preachers, and I learn so much about God from them. Usually on the way to work each day, I'll listen to a podcast called Mere Orthodoxy, and it's two young scholars, one Anglican, one who is a Reformed Calvinist, and they're talking about different ideas and different scriptures and different issues from a point of faith. They've been going through the Beatitudes one by one, and it's absolutely fascinating. I mentioned in my June newsletter article that I'm, I'm working my way through a book by Esau Macaulay about New Testament ethics. And Macaulay is black, and he is applying New Testament ethics to the hot-button issues of the day in America related to race. And he does so in a way that are just better than other writers on the same topics. At least I think they're better. That's my opinion. Maybe not for everyone. But for me, it clicks. And I can gain better insight into how he thinks and other people think when it comes to faith and race and politics and economics and all these other issues. 
I kind of want to do a book study on that book in the fall. But there are people like him and others who just sort of make things click for me in ways that other people don't. And the point is that there are teachers who reveal God and make faith click, and there was never, ever a better faith revealer, God revealer, faith teacher than Jesus. There's never, ever been a better one than Jesus. He taught with authority, and everybody in his hometown was just astounded because they had never heard such teaching. And they were confused because they knew his family. I mean, they mentioned his mother Mary by name. They mentioned his brothers by name, his sisters. They still live among us, they said. Don't we know them? And so what happened? Did you read that? They took offense at him. Literally, it says he became a stumbling block for them. Well, why? Because they did know him. They knew him and they knew his occupation. They knew his family, which would have been a very lowly peasant stock family, very low on the education and on the social ladder. They knew him and they said to themselves, how does someone who ranks so low know more about God than we do. And they were offended. How is this peasant revealing things about God that we, as ministers and priests and leaders and Pharisees, the well-educated people higher up on the ladder, how does he know these things that we should know, but we don't? How is he better than us when it comes to knowing God? Have you ever been humbled by someone who you think is beneath you? Now, I know we're not supposed to be allowed to say that. We're not allowed to think like that. You don't want to think of yourself as someone who judges others or ranks others as better than or higher than others. But let's be honest, we all do it. Everybody does it. If you live long enough, you will be humbled by those who you think are less than you are. Shame on us for thinking that way, but we all do it. You know, I just mentioned these great ministers that I love to, to read and to listen to, and they all come from the power centers of our culture. They're based out of New York and of the Bay Area and out of Chicago. They're connected with the best universities and the most elite seminaries. They are so bright and so well-read and so learned, and I love to learn from them. But it happens more and more. Sometimes here around Memphis, and then usually when I go to Mexico on our annual mission trip, which we will be doing again, I hope, next year, it happens when I go among some folks that I am humbled about what I learn about Christianity and faith from those who have little or no formal education, but who teach me so much about discipleship. I go and I work among these indigenous Mayan Christian peasants in Mexico, and I learn more about the gospel and about forgiveness, and trusting God day in and day out for things just like my daily bread. I learn more from them than anybody else. And I love those scholars, and I love the intellectual part of faith, and I love how they appeal to the mind of faith, but when it comes to the heart, I often find that our cistern building partners in Mexico live out their faith day in and day out better than anybody I've ever seen. They don't have time to listen to podcasts and to heady lectures and preachers. They're way too busy working and living out their faith in their villages and farming, and I'm humbled every time by how much closer to God they are than I am. And the point is, of course, that the people around Jesus in his day and age, so many of them were offended. 
that someone so lowly could know more about God than they do on an intellectual level and then certainly on a heart level. When he heals, when he shows compassion to people, they understand that he is so close to God and that they are not. It's amazing, and they are angry. So what does Jesus do? He moves on after this, the next paragraph of our reading. He moves on to other places where God will go to work through him and then especially through his disciples. This is such a great section in March 6. We learn so much from what Jesus does here. The first thing he does is, and I love this, he divides his disciples up into six groups of two. And he sends them out in six different directions on a short-term mission trip. So here's how I imagined this this week. I was actually standing on the corner of our street over here looking at something, and I imagined it like this. I imagined Jesus out at this crazy intersection that's on the north side of our church where you have all these streets converging into one and two traffic lights and all of that. Jesus standing right out there and sending his disciples north and south on Germantown Road, east-west on Park Avenue or Poplar Pike or whatever it is when it goes off of West Street, and then out up this way to the east and west and Arthur Road and Old Germantown Road north and south. That I imagine Jesus sending his disciples out two by two in all of these six different directions and saying to them, go out and be my disciples. Go out and teach and preach and heal. Go out with a very specific purpose. One specific purpose, and this is amazing on Jesus' part, one purpose was to teach them just how to trust each other. Just how to trust each other. So far, they've been following Jesus around as a clump, as of disciples, and he's their leader, and they've all been following him. Now, he's going to teach them to rely on each other, which is a totally different dynamic. Will they trust each other? Will they work together? Or will they be pulled apart by their own perspectives and their own personalities? I mean, we know enough about these disciples to know that some of them wouldn't like not to be paired with each other. I mean, think about that. One of them was called Simon the Zealot, different from Simon Peter. Simon the Zealot was a disciple who hated the Romans so much that he would take out his sword and go to battle against them at the drop of a hat. He was ready to die and shed blood because he hated the Romans so much. Now, another disciple was Matthew, who was a tax collector who collaborated with the Romans. He helped fund the whole Roman Empire, so a zealot would hate a tax collector. And I can imagine Jesus sending sending out there at that intersection, and he's going through, okay, so I want to pair Simon the zealot up with, and Simon the zealot is over here going, please don't say Matthew, please don't say Matthew, please don't say Matthew, I can't stand that guy. I want Simon the zealot to go with Matthew. And Matthew says, oh, great. And he sends him out two by two. Will the gospel and their common discipleship and God's powerful grace be enough to unite them and give them a purpose that's larger than their own perspectives and politics and all their own desires? Or will they find out that they will not work with each other because they care more about their politics than they do the mission given to them by Jesus? Will they let go of some of their worldly convictions in order to serve Christ in the world? Well, they're about to find out. And I think we're about to find out as a church. 
I really do. And I say that because I see more and more churches now dividing along political lines than ever before in American history. It's happening all around us. Churches are deciding that they need to either be blue or red or more liberal or more conservative or more traditional, more progressive, and they're writing political papers and policy statements. I can't tell you how many times on an annual basis I hear someone say, I want to hear my minister or my church make a statement about and then fill in the blank with whatever hot-button issue that CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or Politico or the New York Times or Newsmax or whatever media platforms talk about from their perspective. And I know it's the case that more American Christians have their faith and values and views shaped by the biased media that they watch than by the Bible every day of the week. We watch what we watch and we read what we do because they all tell us what, they, what we want to hear. And there's this great feedback loop of what I want to hear. And so the media that I watch that tells me what I want to hear so that I watch it all the more, we do it because we want to feel better about ourselves and our own convictions by the words that they speak. All the while, God's Word has something more and better to say than any of them combined. And surely, surely, surely everybody understands that no media outlet anymore is unbiased. They all are, whether they are liberal, progressive, conservative, traditional, they're all biased and we usually watch them because we want them just to feed back what we already believe to us. Whereas God's Word always has something more and better and deeper and more truthful to say than anybody else. And so we as a church are always under threat from being pulled apart like those first disciples. Jesus sends them out two by two in order to train them to love and to rely on each other and trust each other through their shared gospel more than their own politics and more than their own preferences. That's the beauty of the gospel. And I think it's also the power and strength of a church like this one. Of course, everybody is going to have their own politics and their own perspectives and their own convictions. Absolutely. You've got yours. I've got mine. But when it comes to loving and serving this world, we look for the commonalities that unite us and not the things that divide us. And we look to love and serve and trust each other and let God shape us as we work together. Make no mistake. God is sending us out from this crazy intersection in all directions into the world. God is sending us out to spread the wet message of God's love and of God's mercy. Will that message and will that mission pull us together? Or will other things pull us apart? I think we're about to find out in the weeks and months ahead. Second of all, not only are they learning to trust each other, they're learning to trust Jesus completely. Absolutely and completely. And this is a test. Jesus is sending them out two by two. And did you hear all the things that he won't let them take? He won't let them take all the things that we would pack first, that we would take first. He says, take no bread, no bag, meaning no extra clothes, no money. He allows them to take sandals and a staff to protect their feet as they walk forward and to keep their balance, but nothing else. It's amazing. 
Susan and I went on a trip a couple of weeks ago, and when we pack, we try to anticipate every single contingency that might arise for when we're gone. For weather, will it be cool or hot? Will it rain? Different shoes for every various terrain or mood that we might be in when we walk on that terrain. Take extra of everything that you might be embarrassed by if you ran out of it. Be ready for fires, natural disasters, monsoons, plagues, and locusts. Should any of those come along, take sunscreen, bug spray, sunglasses, hats, boots, hats, mats, suits, and masks. Everything in this pandemic day and age must go in that bag. Jesus said, don't take any of that. Just trust me. Just trust me to provide. And isn't that the biblical message over and over again? Over and over again, Jesus says, just trust me. I will provide for you. Do not worry, he says in another place, about what you will wear, what you will eat, or what you would drink. Just trust me. Don't even worry about the basic essentials, food, clothing, money. Those are, those are things we think of first. Think of those last. Think about your mission and your purpose first and foremost, and then let me take care of everything else. I have to learn that lesson over and over again to throw worry out the window not to plan for every contingency because you know what? The more you plan for contingencies, the more you will see them and the more there will be obstacles to you. Trust me, said Jesus, and I will provide. You concentrate on your mission and I'll take care of everything else. Trust each other, trust him, and then he gives them this amazing mission. Did you hear what it says there toward the end of this verse? At the very end it says, They went out and they cast out many demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. And they proclaimed that all should repent. This is the mission of them. This is the mission of our church. It's what we're all about. They went out and they proclaimed this message of repentance, meaning that really they were just trying to help people turn their lives around. That's what repent really means, to do a U-turn, to turn and go in a different direction, to turn away from greed away from selfishness, away from hatred, away from sin, and turn toward God. Turn from following only our own desires, from feeding our addictions. Turn away from using other people and turn toward Christ and follow Him. I mean, we're involved in this turning around ministry, and it's not because we're superior and because we have the answers. We don't go to people and tell them to turn around and repent because we're better than they are. Quite the opposite. It's because we've all been there before. We all know what it's like to live our own lives on our own terms and how much of a mess we make of it. So we invite people to turn around and to turn to God because we want to help others into the freedom of living for God. They cast out many demons, which is a great phrase. We sometimes get tripped up on it. What it really means is that they confronted hostile forces that harm human life. Powers that inflict suffering and pain and injustice, those are demonic forces, and they are real back then, and they are real now. And disciples of Jesus have always cared about confronting evil and prophetically calling it out. And then also they help people find healing, healing for their bodies and their minds. Jesus is, is all about this. He does this throughout his ministry. He's always using healing as a demonstration of God's grace. He's healing people of physical and mental ailments 
to prove to them how much God loves them. And if you think about it, his healing, it was always only temporary. Those same bodies and those same minds, they would break down later of something else. But to heal people was a sign of God's compassion and grace, and it led them then to understand and want healing for their souls. And so we do the same thing today. We care about healing in our day. We care about people in body and in mind. We support all of these different healing agencies and groups and these efforts because they are a sign of God's work and the world. Friends, how is God at work? Where is God at work? Where is God at work in your life? How does God want to use you to be at work in the world? We're going to find out more and more as we emerge from this crazy pandemic, as we get back into our routines and back into our life. We are praying that God will send us out in new ways. God will send us out two by two in town after town from our own crossroads, that God will send us out to trust each other over worldly convictions and to trust Christ completely in everything. We pray that God would be in our world, at work in our world, around everywhere, through us, turning lives around toward God, confronting things that are wrong and unjust, and providing much-needed healing grace to ourselves, and to everybody around us. Amen. Friends, at this time we do worship God by giving. We know that we worship a generous God, and so we are grateful to return a portion of God's generosity to us, back to God to support the work of the church and to support God's purposes and God's mission in the world. And so now I invite you during our offertory to be generous and to respond to God's grace in your life.
Please be seated. Friends, in your bulletin, you will notice every time we start communion, it says an invitation. We come to this table because we are invited to. It is a gracious invitation by which God comes to us and offers us love and mercy and forgiveness and then invites us. He says, follow me. And so we accept this invitation this morning. And I invite you to accept this invitation to come to this table, table of grace, the table of our Lord's presence, the table of God's love. Come not because you are strong and not because you are worthy, but because you know that you need mercy and because of your weaknesses. Let us come together in prayer as we come together at this table. Let us pray. Dear God, we know that you are good. We know that you are holy and loving. We know that no one can stand on our own merits in your presence because no one is equal to your glory and power. Lord, in your hands, you hold all of creation, including us. And we cannot fathom the ways in which you govern everything and dispose of everything and everyone. Lord, in ways that seem too good and too powerful to be true, you hold creation together each day. You invite the sun to rise and you permit the stars to shine. Without your command, all that we know would fall apart and chaos would reign. But you are God of grace and order and instead of untamed disorder, Lord, you have created a world that was meant to revolve around you and to receive your love. We thank you for the beauty of your creation on display all around us right now. We see it each summer with flowering crepe myrtles and with blooming gardens, with produce, all at your hand, O God. We see it in summer storms and thunder and in lightning. We see it at the ocean. We see it in the mountains. Lord, thank you for permitting us to live in such a beautiful and amazing world. Thank you for opening our eyes and our hearts to see the touches of your beauty and the acts of grace all around us. Lord, on this particular Sunday, we are, we are spilling over with, with meaning and with gratitude. Lord, we lift up our church to you as we come back into this place that is such a sanctuary for all of us. Lord, it's a holy space where we have celebrated so many milestone moments in life, so many baptisms, so many weddings, so many funerals. This is a holy space where you meet us each week in worship. And so we do thank you, O God, for bringing us back into this place, for all the effort behind it. We pray with gratitude, O God, that you would see us through, that you would give us a vision to make this a place even better than it was all by your inspiration. Lord, on this particular Sunday, we also give you thanks for our nation. Lord, we praise you for its ideals. We praise you for its good history. Lord, we praise you for all the things that we have done well and right as we have evolved into a better place year after year, decade after decade. We ask for forgiveness for the times when we have neglected our ideals. We pray that you would inspire us to live with self-sacrificial civic love for one another. 
We thank you for all the natural beauty and the wonder that exists from sea to shining sea. And that you would help us collectively to overcome our faults. But let us live at peace with one another and with all who are willing. Lord, for all of these things and so many more, we are grateful. And together we lift up our voices into one voice. We pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At the very end of his life, Jesus invited his disciples to come up to the upper room and to share a meal with him. It was the Passover meal full of symbolism, full of significance for their faith and for their common relationship with God. Jesus took elements of that Last Supper and he reinterpreted them. And he gave them new meaning to speak about himself and his mission and his followers. And so we remember how Jesus took these, these ordinary elements and he set them aside. And he made of them something extraordinary. We remember how he took the bread that was there, the loaf of bread that was part of the Passover meal. He gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he said, take, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a very similar way, he took the cup that was there. He put the wine into it. And he talked about a new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people that would be sealed by his blood shed on the cross. He said, do this also in remembrance of me. And so, friends, we remember Jesus and we remember his love and his sacrifice on the cross. And we remember with joy his resurrection. We take these elements and we remember and we celebrate and we look forward to that day when he shall come again and take us all into his heavenly home. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come taste and see that our Lord is good. I invite you now to take both packets and to open up and the cracker first and then the grape and for you to use your elements at home as we remember and as we are grateful for Christ's sacrifice for us. Let us pray. Lord, through these very ordinary elements, a, a cracker, a piece of bread, juice, or a grape, through these very earthly elements, you have done something extraordinary and heavenly. Lord, these are real world signs of an otherworldly grace and love that you bring to each one of us. So, Lord, we do meet you here at this table. We accept your invitation. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for turning our lives around and for giving us 
hope and giving us healing. And we pray, Lord, that as we are nourished in the same way as those first disciples were at that first Last Supper and that first communion, that we might be nourished and sustained with this communion, that we might be inspired and empowered to go out into the world to love you and to love neighbor as you have commanded us to do. We pray this all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, on this July 4th, ask yourself what you can do to be a better citizen, what you can do to be a better participant in this great 
democracy, but what you can do more importantly than that, to love your neighbor as yourself, to go out and serve Christ in the world, and to be a citizen not only of this country, but a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom. What can you do to be better as a follower of Jesus Christ today and always? Whatever that answer may be for you, may you go out into this world to love and serve the Lord, and may you go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen.